We're back with part two of our interview with doctors Emily and Mitchell. And I'm happy to say I made an appointment for a sleep apnea test. I interviewed them in September. So it's taken me until now. Where are we now? We're January. And I just made the appointment listening, re-listening to the episode made me realize that I'm an idiot and I didn't make my appointment for the sleep apnea test. So now I did. I'm really proud of myself because I think it's a step in preventing dementia, potentially preventing dementia, which is what this whole episode is about and what their book is about. I'm also getting the book. Here is part two of our really, really informative episode. What is your biggest fear as you age? And most people would say this, I mean, health, but they're very worried about, like they don't actually say I'm worried that I might. Most people assume that it's inevitable to have some kind of dementia. Would you say that's accurate or it's not accurate to think that it's an, it's inevitable for everyone? Well, research tells us, because they did this research, 80% of people are either somewhat or very concerned about getting dementia. Are you asking, do we think it is inevitable? Right, no. no, what would you say is the answer? Because people are, they think it's just a given. When I'm right. older, like some people actually say, I want to be youth. So that was actually one of the questions, which I said, I wasn't sure I was going to ask you, because I said, that sounds so morbid to suggest that because you have dementia, you should be euthanized, like Logan's Run, which was right. Was not like if you're 40, I think, or maybe it was even younger. God, do you remember Logan's Run? Michael, you Was it that one or was it uh, the, the green, the one, the... Uh... Soylent Green, where you got to live one year really great because you were then going to become the food of the future. But yeah, I know. No, that wasn't Logan's Run. Logan's Run, Michael York, and they had them flying in the air and they shot them. I, it may have actually oh. been 30. I thought it was 40, but it could even be younger that you you aged out <laughs> and they shot you. It's not inevitable. And the statistics are that one, number one, one out of two cases are preventable. Which but should you crazy. have it, should you have it, using the same approaches combined with existing FDA approved medications that have been out now for since the 19, late 1990s. Right, 1997. Can slow down the progression. You will die of something else before dementia kills you. We've got patients who we have seen for 15 years who are hardly different now than they were 15 years ago in age-matched thinking. So we're not comparing them with the 70-year-old we saw right. originally. We're comparing them with number, you know, 85-year-olds now. But they're still at the same level because they've changed their lifestyle. They're managing all of their health problems. They're taking medications, usually in combination, two different classes of medication. They're staying active mentally. They're staying active socially. They enjoy good social support. Now, there are some that get worse and that die from this. I don't want to say something that's outrageous here. But again, it's not this downhill course that you can't do anything about. This is a call to action. This is not a passive, oh my goodness, I guess they'll just put me on an ice flow and send me out into the, the North Sea when I start to have this problem. It's a call to action. So you can't cure it yet, maybe one day. You can't cure it yet, but you're saying you could almost stop it where it is so it doesn't progress, right? So that's you good can't news. Cure diabetes. We don't we don't say kill diabetics. You can't cure by diabetes. We manage well, maybe it. Maybe they think we should, and we just didn't realize <laughs> that. But I'm glad we're not doing that. Okay. Um but that's actually good news to me. Look, I think also knowledge is power. I mean, I'm sure you two, especially with what you do, have seen plenty of people that would rather not know, which I just never understood that philosophy. Like, obviously you can hear things that are very upsetting. It's happened to me, but 
for sure, I preferred hearing it because then I could fix it. But I, right. for some reason, this is your area of expertise, the two of you, why people are that afraid of it. To me, this is good news, even though some of what you're saying is a little scary to me. Like I'm, I'm thinking when I talk to you, I'm done talking to you, I'm making an appointment to do a sleep test. Like I'm really like, oh my God, you know, but I think that's a good thing. I think yeah. it is. So I appreciate this book that you can um, make a change. And um, so do you want to give us some, I'm trying to say, I don't want to miss any of the questions, but do you have some things that you'd want to say just on the surface? And I recommend that people buy the book, obviously, but on the surface that you would say certain things that you think are really easy fixes to help prevent it or put it off if that's going to be the case. Anything that you could say that you could think of? Yeah. Go out today, take a brisk 10 minute walk, then do it two more times. So the reason that this works is that it gets around your major objections. Oh, it's rainy. I could be a little too hot. I don't have the right equipment. I don't belong to a gym. I don't have the time. All the kinds of excuses that we all have. We know that exercise will help in a number of ways. It'll help with depression. It'll help with reducing your weight. It'll help with improving your heart improving your balance and your lower body strength so you don't fall and fracture something. We know that if we can get people to walk about 150 to 300 minutes a week, that we will significantly reduce their heart risks, their vascular risks, their dementia risk. If you're walking 30 minutes a day in divided doses, then you're going to get 210 minutes a week. If you walk fast, not real fast, but fast enough that you can still talk, but you're moving, you're actually going to walk 10 miles a week. I know because I tried it. I actually did the formula and measured it using my app. And it was like 9.9 .9 something miles for that period of time that I was doing it. So that's the one thing. And because you break it down into a small piece, then you can do other things while you're doing it. That's really fun. So you listen to a podcast, you listen to some music, you just zone out, you meditate, you call your friend or your relative and say, hi, I'm on my walk. Can we talk while I'm doing this? You make a date with somebody to talk and walk with them, even though they might be three states away, you just do it at the same time because now you're walking. So yeah, that's one thing, but that's, that's a place where you can really, really start like now. God, I wish you didn't say that. I'm probably the laziest person alive. I didn't want you to say that. I wanted you to say, you eat a lot. You'd be surprised at how that can help you ward off dementia. But you didn't say that, unfortunately. But you have to move, I guess. If it was that easy, you'd already be doing it. <laughs> this is one place where I would love a pill. <laughs> they actually are developing something like that in mice. They found this one substance they could give mice that mimicked the effects of exercise. And I saw this, and this was in very basic science. This is back in the mice studies. I don't know what they've done with it since then. And I thought, you know, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it probably is a really good thing for people who absolutely can't exercise. You know, you're in a wheelchair or something, having a pill that gives your body the same benefits of exercise, that's a good thing. Do you remember that cartoon Wally? And I'm yeah. pretty sure it was based on Americans and cruising people, which I like cruises. I took offense to this. They had extremely overweight cartoon people, like just laying all around the pool and everything came to them. Nobody had to get up. And I was like, oh my God, it's literally me. But that's what they they think our future is going to be. It's really, <laughs> it's really funny. Do you think weight, there's any correlation to cognition? 
and dementia. Oh, yeah. Like Absolutely. weight maybe is not so great for it, or is it being- Just dramatic? published this morning. This morning, this was published. <laughs> so this is fresh off the presses. And it's a large-scale study looking at central adiposity, in other words, your belly. Men and women, very large group, the larger amount of fat, and it didn't matter which kind of fat, because they looked at both kinds of fat, the smaller were the areas of your brain, both the cortex, the surface of your brain, <sighs> and the internal parts of your brain. So the bigger your belly, the smaller your brain. brain is the rule. I just posted on a bunch of LinkedIn stuff this morning to different groups because this is not new. It's just that this study was large. It was well-controlled. They also had really nice outcome measures and they were able to look in very fine detail. So this does not tell us anything we didn't know. It's just more evidence that uh, you know, weight is important. And the reason why it's important if we reduce it to what we now scientifically believe is at the basis of what's causing the damage in the brain. And as you know, obesity is related to damage in the heart and damage in nerves. It has to do with inflammation. Obesity is directly related to inflammatory cellular messengers, chemicals, and, and cell messengers that are released by cells throughout the body in response to the obesity. And these messengers cause dangerous mechanisms to occur in various parts of our body, whether it's our heart, whether it's our brain. So it causes injury to other cells. Inflammation of any kind is basically an injurious mechanism to a human being. All right. So you got to step away from the shaming parts of talking about weight. You got to step away from the viewing people as being, you know, unmotivated or lazy. And the question that I ask my patients is, what size body were you or your brain designed for? That's the question, because that's all the question that your brain is asking. It's the same way with exercise. The people say, well, I'm busy and my leg hurts and blah, blah, blah. I say, talk to your brain. Tell your brain that you can't help it out because your leg hurts. See what it says. That's the question. You get away from all the emotional garbage and baggage that goes with this. And you take a look at, okay, if I want to preserve my brain, and you'll say 99% of people will probably say yes. There's a small percentage who are just sort of out to lunch. They're gone. But the rest of the people will say, yeah, of course I want to preserve my brain. You say, okay, well, here's what your brain is demanding of you. Here's what your brain wants. So talk to your brain if you don't feel like it. That's basically what I say. Oh, it actually makes sense. And, and the other important thing to keep in mind is anything that we do to protect our brain and prevent dementia in one out of two cases protects the rest of us. Let me give you, a, you know, and, and just beyond just, you know, whether you're going to have a heart attack or not, whether you're going to have a stroke or not, whether you're going to, you know, lose a toe because of diabetes, it can be as as impactful as the only thing that we know that can control whether the growth hormones that are released in our eyes that will help prevent glaucoma are released by exercise. We don't have a methodology. Other than that, we don't have a pill and just reducing the pressure in the eye is not sufficient to get those growth factors that help those eye cells 
to stay alive and prevent glaucoma, you must exercise. So exercise for your brain, help save your eyesight. So really you need to exercise, but which I already knew. Let me ask you this about, um, I didn't ask you, is there a component of being genetic dementia? Is there any component to that? That if you have family members that have had it, that you're more likely to have it? Do you have any proof of that? Oh yeah. Yeah. There's both uh, increased risk for one particular kind of very specific APOE alleles, but there's also another one that actually reduces your risk. Most of us are in the middle. We don't have either an increased or a reduced risk. And as you can read in the book, there are a variety of different genetic uh, permutations that Emily can, I don't know if you want to talk about them, yeah, but they're, they're all very specific. The problem is by the time you're reading this book, you already have those genetic components. Right. And you can't switch out your mom or your dad. <laughs> and so it's, it's sort of like, you know, if you wanted to carve a statue and you got to the piece of marble, you're going to have to work around some of the flaws that already exist in the marble. You can't go back and get more marble. It's right. your life. Right. So you have to say, okay, this is my marble. How do I make the best figure out of this, the best piece of art I can out of this, knowing that I've got this ripple coming up the middle. There's a flaw over here. I can't get too close to this edge or it's going to break off. Fine. That's okay. You do the best where you are. If you're a golfer, you know that you play it where it lays. And so that's what we talk about with people. You play it where it lays. Here's right. where you are. You choose the best club. You choose the best approach. You don't worry about where it started out because you can't change it move on from here, go forward. But now you talked about, so if you have it, there are medications that could kind of stop it where it is. So let's say I know I am predisposed to it because my parents had it, for example. Would there be a benefit, maybe you don't know the answer to this, to my just saying, I'll take the medication now, even though I don't have any signs of it yet, or that it doesn't work like that? doesn't work like that. I wish it did. I mean, right. they're looking at things like, can we give a vaccination? I mean, I, I'm a believer that years from now, we're going to use something like CRISPR technology to go in and actually splice the genes to come up with a better result so that people wow. who are predisposed will be able to do it. Right now, when people say, should I get genetically tested? We say, no, no. you're not going to learn anything. It's only going to either give you a false sense of confidence. Oh, I'm fine. Or right. else it's going to scare the bejesus out of you. And unless you're going to do something about it, why do you need to be that anxious? Can you test you for know. it? You can test for it, like do some kind of oh, genetic yeah. test. Oh, that's interesting. Well, yeah. And let's let's be clear. There, there's a test for figuring out how many copies of the APOE4 LL someone has, and that we know that the number of the more APOE4 LL copies you have, the greater the risk you have of developing. Alzheimer's disease. There are many other different genetic determinants of other types of dementia. So you you can't walk on in and say, I want to get tested for every single kind of genetically driven dementia that exists. It would bankrupt you. Right. It wouldn't give you anything that's valuable in terms unless you were maybe choosing a surrogate partner or something father for your child, maybe then you might want to get it. That's not, that would be a crazy yeah, idea. Yeah. There's a lot of other things that, that determine how your child's going to turn out. Right. And you can't, you can't really predict that. So it's, um, it, it's much more the kind of thing where 
if you had a significant number of family members that had dementia, then that would be a greater imperative to you to do everything in your power to prevent getting it. So control what you can control, which is essentially what Mitch is saying when he says, play it where it lays. You can't change where the ball started, but what you can do is improve all the things that are correctable, get the obstructive sleep apnea fixed, whether you're overweight or not, get and get that 30 minutes of exercise in per day, control that blood pressure, control that cholesterol, control that sugar level, have your doctor do the tests for things like obstructive sleep apnea, hyperhomocystinemia, check the iron levels. You know, get your hearing checked. Get your hearing checked. Make sure if you've got, and that should be started at the age of 40, by the way, according to the most recent recommendations, because a significant portion of our American population um, has hearing deficit by the age of 40. And we know that unless that's addressed, the part of the brain that has to do with hearing actually begins to shrink and affects other parts of the brain. So actually, do it's interesting, isn't it? Did you find this so interesting? I'm sure you both do. Well, well it's there's so fascinating. Reason, there's a reason why we've devoted our lives to it. <laughs> <laughs> I think once someone has full-blown dementia, this is just me making this up, they don't know. It's harder for the family, but they are okay. Do you have an opinion on that? On that? Do you think that they know when they're struggling or it's over at that point? Depends on, it's very individual. Depends on the kind of dementia. Some oh, really? have real awareness and it's yes. heartbreaking. Oh, that's Because awful. they're frightened. And one of the reasons also for these dementia medications is that while they may not make the person's memory better and they might not even do a great job, at stopping it from getting worse. They are effective in many cases at preventing the, what they call neuropsychiatric effects of progressive dementia. So you get someone with moderate to severe dementia. And my mother, for example, thought that the Nazis were coming into her assisted living room while she slept and she wanted to hide under the bed. And she was terrified That's awful. about that. And so medications do help in many cases with that. And she had, you know, and, and it also can change over time that people in the course of a day sometimes can have fleeting awareness of just how impaired they are, why they're here and what's going on. And other times they can be unaware of it. But that's a whole different subject. That's, that's, you know, how do you treat dementia? How do you treat advanced dementia? Yeah, there is. Which is a whole different, it's a, probably a series of podcasts because right. it's a real different kind of animal than what we're talking. We're talking about how do you take people who in the bloom of life need to make changes now so that they stay with that bloom on the roses as they get older. That may be somewhere inside that would be upsetting to the person. That right there to me is a reason to really work on prevention. It, and it is an individual kind of thing. We can't predict which way it's going to go for anybody. Most of us would like to really recognize all the people that are important to us until the moment we die. I think all of us would prefer to be able to bathe and dress ourselves. Of course. And feed ourselves. And we didn't have to have our food turned into a gruel because otherwise we're going to choke on it and aspirate and then get pneumonia afterwards. I think most of us would rather live for as long as possible on our own or with other people of our choosing rather than having to have somebody else stay home from work to care for us or to not be able to include us in things that are going on because we wouldn't understand any longer 
You've given me a lot to think about. Would you be willing to come back? I'm sure after I air this, even though I ask people general questions about dementia, if we have questions, would you be willing to come back? Well, sure. sure. Yeah. Absolutely. You're delightful. Also, you need to come on and talk about love story. Thank you. We love it too. How did you, like you just said, that's how we met. How did you literally meet and go, oh my God, I love you. You know, we love each other. Good. <laughs> Wait, did you say mom? go ahead because you don't remember? I'm just checking. No, no, no. Okay, no, no, no. okay. It's, it's, her, it's her story more than mine at this With, point. Okay, okay. It was part and parcel of like when my mom died and I said, you know, look, I'm going to be alive for another 40 years, maybe on this earth. How do I want to live? And, you know, I, you know, am I do I still have this love for this kid that I was in love with in high school? And we were separated at that point. Um, so I literally tracked them down on the internet. And um, because you can find, if somebody is a lawyer, a doctor, a psychologist, you can find them anywhere. So I figured out where he was and I sent him a very nice email and we started corresponding and we both realized that, gee, we really would like to see each other again. And so we saw each other for the first time in 37 years on November 1st of 2004. On November 1st, 2008, we were married. And it made perfect sense because that way I'd only have to remember one date. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so did you actually date in high school? Well, you just yes. So <laughs> we did. So we went, my father used to have a saying, we would go out different places. My father, in the town where I grew up, everybody, he knew lots of people. And I'd say to him, dad, how do you know that person? And he used to joke with me, say, oh, we went to two different schools together. Turns out Emily and I went to two different schools together. We met at public speaking tournaments. So this this being on talking about the thing. I just say, what a nerdy thing. Absolutely. <laughs> My God. Yep. We, so that's that's how we met. That's how we dated each other. That's how we, I mean, it's it's a it's a much longer story. Yeah, but, but tell her. And, and basically, his mother called my mother and said, you know, your daughter's Catholic, Italian, Polish, and um, my son's Jewish, and we don't think that they should be together. So that was basically the reason why we didn't get to date. Um, interestingly enough, probably eight years after that, nine years after that, I was successful in tracking down my father and my father's family. And it turns out that my father was Jewish and my mother was Catholic. And in fact, he was the only boy that came, was, was alive with his last name because he was responsible for bringing his sisters over here uh, to escape what was happening in Europe. Wow. Uh, in Poland. So it was one of those very odd things. Uh, so we, we celebrate all the holidays. We are, I mean, I was clearly uh, separated from my Jewish heritage very early in, in life. And it's great because I've gotten to regain it. Where is your father's family from that you said they escaped? They were in, I'm trying to remember the name. Um, Her main name was Sabisti. My main name is Sabisti, S-Z-Y-B-I-S-T-Y. -S but you don't know what country? Yeah, Poland. Oh, Poland. 
Oh, Poland. Sorry. Okay. Poland. But you were thinking about the actual town. I'm trying to remember the name yeah. of the town that they were in. I can't remember it right now. I thought you were going to just say, you know, we were young and whatever, we moved or something. I didn't realize that his mother. Did you know <laughs> your mother did that? Absolutely. I know her mother did it too. They conspired. That's unbelievable. <laughs> it took me 37 years to fix it. You guys have a couple of good books more that you could be writing about. Wow. Well, it's got lots of twists and turns we haven't even shared with you, but there is the, there's a, a sleepless in Seattle aspect to this. Yeah, we're very, we're very, very happy. We're Aww, very that's nice. Love, romance, and working together. It's actually really, really nice. And you should see the fights we had when we were trying to write the book. It's <laughs> not bad, as you know. It's okay. It's how you right. fight, right? Right. It's 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 a very it was a very healthy process. And we learned a lot about our own relationship in writing this book. And I bet you helped take care of each other, which is nice. You keep looking at her. It's so funny. I'm wondering if like, do you not know the answer? Like, it's so, you're so funny. You like looked at her and I was like, wait, is he, is that wrong? Yes, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm looking at her because I never quite know what she's going to say next. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it is interesting because uh, you know, I, I'm not always sure which direction Emily's going to go with with talking about something. I like looking at her. She's very pretty. So it's- well, uh, I see. No, it's so, you guys are really sweet. Well, thank you for coming on. If you could give us, now this is nothing to do with the book. If you have a picture of when you guys were in high school, this- Unfortunately, oh, what am I ready to they're separate oh. pictures. They're the actually- picture of was, you guys together then and now? Oh my God, I must see there that. There was one picture which we have searched for. It was actually published in the newspaper. We both had won a prize at, so I was in- persuasive speech. Emily was in uh, informative speech. Yeah. And there was one picture we have searched for years. We were back in the archives of the newspaper trying to find this. And at one time, I actually had it. I don't know where it is anymore, but it's, I wish we did have that picture. Otherwise, we I don't- We have separate pictures, but not- No, together. that's okay. We can just- like, look like, you know, nerdy people in the 1960s. So it's, uh, you can substitute any millions of other pictures. <laughs> the more you know, the more well-informed you are, and the more you prepare, I think the better off you are, even though that scares people sometimes. The, the opposite is much worse, I think. We wake up every day and I ask myself, okay, what am I going to do today? It's going to stimulate my brain, get my body in better shape, reduce my chances of ending up like my mother did. And I think that if we all go into each day wondering what can I do to reduce my risks of dementia, most of us will actually succeed in doing that. And by reading your book, right? Like I'm giving you a little plug. Exactly. <laughs> More information and the secret ingredient, dun, 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 buy their <laughs> book. Right? So that's, <laughs> you can't give What's too much away. You have to leave them wanting more. That concludes our interview with Drs. Emily and Mitchell. I'm curious what you all thought of the episode. I found it really informative. I told you that I made my appointment already for the sleep apnea test. I'll keep you posted. I don't know if you like I am and you picture it being where you have to go to a place and they look at you through a two-way glass like on Lauren Otter and watch you sleep. They don't do that anymore. Actually, that's not true. They do do it. But as a first step, they send you something at home. I think it's a little ring and you wear it on your finger. I haven't done it yet, but I'll let you know what happens. And then if there's a problem, then I think you do the sleep study where you go to a place and they watch you through a two-way mirror. I can only hope that they also feed you like a lot because that would be an incentive to do it even if I don't have sleep apnea so that I don't have to cook that day. I recommend that we all do it and let us know if you do do it and what you find out. It'll be really interesting to see what happens as we all take their advice. There's much more advice in their book, obviously, 
if you look at the link for this podcast, I have the information there for where you can get the book. I'm also going to put it in our Old Cow Podcast group on Facebook. If you want to talk about this episode or any past episodes, that's a great place to do it. Also, if you missed part one, when did I post it? It must have been the end of last week. We're like a two-woman show here. I don't know if you know that. That's why also sometimes it takes us a long time to get another episode up because it's only two of us running this company and we've been growing really rapidly, which is great news, but it sometimes puts us behind. So I apologize for that, particularly to the people people who are really enjoying our podcast and they write to me and they say, where are the new episodes? And people I've interviewed who have also done that and said, did you forget about me? I, I did an interview and then I didn't hear it, you know, on your podcast. It's because we're very behind, but it's not for lack of motivation and trying and we will get there. Bear with us. You can catch the first episode of this and past episodes on any platform like Spotify, Apple, Google, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And please, please share, tell all your friends. It makes a big difference for us. And for those who are already listeners and following us, we thank you and we appreciate you.